Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. You can be seated. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? God, we thank you for the name of Jesus. We thank you for the name that is above every name. God, the name that is our refuge, the name that is our hope, our salvation, our life. God, I pray that the name of Jesus would be on the hearts and minds of every person in this room, including myself, as we look into your word, as we get from you everything that you have in mind for us today, because we ask it in that powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning again, church. I have been uh, promising you something over the last few weeks. I'm delivering on that promise today. We've got our first uh, edition of Horizon West Church swag, at least in this season, in the form of a car magnet. Now, this is going to look a lot better on your car than it does on mine. Uh, you can't put it on the window. You've got to put it on the body of your car. This is not a sticker. Okay? It's not going to rust and peel and stick to your car. This is a car magnet. We're going to encourage you on your way out this morning. We've got these for every single family. So if you've got two cars, take two. We don't care. If you've got three, give me one. But that's a separate issue. <laughs> we want every person to get a Four Horizon West magnet for their car so that two things. We tell our community what's true about us. We are for our community. We're for Horizon West. And you might also have somebody say, hey, what's that about? And you can tell them about your church or even better, tell them about Jesus. So on your way out this morning, make sure you grab that. I also want to encourage you to grab two other items that are on the same table. This is essentially an informational card about our journey of grace. So we're in the middle of a four-week emphasis we're calling journey of grace. That's going to culminate on October 8th in what we're calling a celebration Sunday. Um, That's going to be an opportunity for you to be prayerfully, at least in the days ahead, to prayerfully, prayerfully talk with your spouse if you have one, your family, talk uh, with people that you care about. What would it look like to make a generous gift, not only on that Sunday, but also over the course of that year? What would that plan look like? This informational card is on the table. That's going to help you. And alongside of it is an envelope uh, that I would encourage you again just to hold in your hands as you pray and ask God. We're not going to tell you what your response looks like. The Lord is going to tell you. So we want you to pray, God, what would it look like for my family to take a step in this journey of grace for us? Now, it's not entirely financial. We want that to uh, show itself in more groups forming and more people serving. We want that to show itself in a lifestyle of generosity on your part. But we also believe that as a part of being a generous people, there is a financial aspect. And so what we're going to encourage you is wherever you are on that journey, that you would take the next step in your journey of grace. And so, for instance, some of you, that next step is going to look like the first time that you give to your local church. We had a woman last Sunday, she came out of the service, she said, hey, pastor, I want you to know today I gave to the church for the very first time. Now, I don't care personally what that gift was or what the amount was. I was so excited that somebody took a step in their discipleship to do something for the first time that they had never done. Some of you have already taken that first step, and so what it may look like for you is that you begin to give intentionally. 
I might use words like consistently or habitually, where it becomes a lifestyle pattern that you're not just kind of giving in some random sequence over the years, but that you have a discipline where you're regularly contributing out of your income to the needs of the church, intentional giving. And then for some of you, it's going to go even beyond that to where you give a percentage of your income to the Lord. Now, in the scripture, that percentage is 10%. Uh, This is something that I committed to in my college years and that Nikki and I have had as a practice that we will give 10% and we continue today. But can I be honest with you about something? And this is why this is so important that we're thinking about this as a journey that we are on. If I'm completely honest, although I do give a percentage of my income to the Lord, I often don't think about going beyond that. I kind of go, well, I'm already doing the thing the Bible says to do, and I have missed opportunities over the five years we've been a church to give even beyond that. And so maybe you're a 10% giver. We thank God for you. Would you pray about going even beyond that? Would you pray and say, God, I, because here's the reality. If your theology ever leads you to a dead end, it's bad theology. If you ever come to a place anywhere in your life where you go, well, I already did that, it's done, it's taken care of, we believe that God is a God of movement. We believe that faith is a journey toward and moving forward. And so we never want you to say what you might say, something like, I read the Bible when I was younger and I don't need to read it again. <laughs> right? Or, or I went to church once, I don't need to go back. Like, we want you to be thinking progress, we want you to be thinking moving forward. So last week we talked about the why of giving. Why would a person give to the work of the Lord? And I gave you three things. Number one, because that gift goes beyond yourself. Two, it goes beyond your circumstances. And three, it even goes beyond your view. People that you will never meet, people you will never see with your own eyes will be impacted by your generous giving. Today I want to go a little further and I want to show you what it looks like to go beyond vision and to come up with a plan to give. We're going to be in Paul's letter of 2 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at how Paul encouraged the church to move beyond the desire to give to the act of giving, to take that important step. Now, all of us have probably heard somebody say at one time or another, it's the thought that counts. You've heard that, right? Can I tell you that that is religious fluff and sentimentality? That does not work in the real world. Our faith is not a religious thing. It's a real-life living faith. The thought that counts doesn't work here. It doesn't work with your wife, man, if you're married, right, to say, hey, I thought about giving you a birthday present. Just didn't do it, Right? Or saying to your roommate, hey, I thought about splitting the rent with you this week, uh, this month, but it's just not going to happen. Or maybe you're a parent and you say, hey, son, daughter, I really thought about coming to your big game or to your fall recital or, or your graduation service. I really thought hard about it. I just didn't do it. When it comes to our faith, it is not the thought that counts. It is the intentionality to act upon what God has called us to and what we have purposed to accomplish. That's what counts in the life of faith. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look with me at verses 10 through 15. I'll read and you can follow along with me. And in this matter I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to have the desire to do it. So now finish it as well so that your readiness or willingness in desiring 
may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what they do not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need in order that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered had, had no, uh, whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul here refers to this matter, but if you didn't read the verses before that or you weren't here last Sunday, you need to know what the matter is that Paul is referring to. And the matter Paul is talking about to the Corinthians is that the churches in Jerusalem are experiencing famine. That there's literally chances of starvation. They're at the brink of utter disaster. And the churches that are north of Corinth have been generously giving so that those in Jerusalem have what they need to survive. And and Paul adds this, he says, Corinthians, as I'm calling you to also give generously in this matter, I want you to know something. I want you to know that this benefits you. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, when you give to meet the needs of others, there is a benefit that comes back on you. And it is this upside down, or rather right side up nature of the kingdom of God that tells us that we are filled by being emptied. We are blessed by becoming a blessing. When you walk out of the doors later this morning into the world outside of this room, you're going into a world that doesn't believe what I just shared with you. You're going into a world that believes that whoever gets the most is the happiest. Whoever works for it, they get to enjoy the blessings and benefits of life. They get to hoard it and live in luxury. And we follow models that get us there. They say blessing comes from what you have. Scripture teaches something completely different. In fact, the Apostle Paul even references the words of Jesus himself in another place where he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, something interesting about that is if you were to look in the Gospels for the place where Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive, you wouldn't find it. Which means one of two things. Either one, Paul has heard this from Jesus himself or from others, and it's part of the oral tradition of Jesus' ministry. Now, let me remind you, Scripture says that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the entire world couldn't house the libraries that would be filled. So you understand that there are things Jesus said and did that are not in the four what we call Gospels of the New Testament. And perhaps this is one. Or the other possibility is that Paul is essentially summarizing what he understood the entire life and teaching of Jesus to be about in the words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the centerpiece of the gospel. John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In the book of Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus articulates his personal mission in this way. The son of man came not to be served but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. And again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, give to the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
That last verse is embedded in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and it basically serves as the summary of the entire sermon. Be a person who is willing and ready at all times to give to meet the needs of others. In fact, Jesus even says, go beyond that. If you've got to go one mile in your journey, go a a second mile for the other person. Like, do above and beyond what is minimally asked of you. And this radical generosity, which is motivated by genuine love, is, I believe, the clearest and most compelling evidence that exists that a person has become a follower of Jesus. Let me, let me say those words again. Radical generosity, motivated by love, is the clearest and most compelling evidence that a person has become a follower of Jesus. Do you know in the first century, as the gospel was spreading, the good news of Jesus was spreading all over the world, uh, those Christians in most places were called followers of the way. The way was the way of Jesus. It was the way of the Sermon on the Mount. It was the way of radical generosity. But in one place called Antioch, the church there became known a different way. They didn't call them followers of the way, they called them a a new and kind of funny name that they made up there, and that name was Christian. Christian means little Christ. Because the people living in a place called Antioch, when they saw the church that was in Antioch, they said, man, these guys, these gals, they look a lot like that rabbi that was crucified in Jerusalem. The radical generosity with which Jesus lived became the hallmark of the way they lived. And what I would love is that in Horizon West, in West Orange County, that when people look at us as a congregation or as individuals or families embedded as salt and light throughout our area, they say, man, that looks a lot like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve, who came not to get from, but to give to Jesus' entire playbook was radical generosity. Last night, my family had the opportunity to go to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in Gainesville. There's a football team that plays there. And uh, my wife is a diehard fan. I'm a fan of a team a little further south, but happy wife, right? You know how that goes. And so, um, and it was a cool 94 degrees. It was way, it's usually much hotter in Gainesville. Uh, They call it the swamp for a reason. And uh, so it was our three kids, Addie, Livy, and Joan. It was our first time experiencing the University of Florida football. Now, if you've been there, it is, it is a situation. I mean, like, there is a lot going on. There, it is loud, and it is boom, and it is, they give you, like, two and a half inches for your legs. It's, you're just, like, packed in there, right? Well, my wife, being a diehard, lifelong Florida Gator fan, wanted to make sure we got there early enough to not just see the game, but to be part of what's called the Gator Walk. Let me tell you about the Gator Walk if you've not been part of it. About two or two and a half hours before the kickoff, something happens. You you would see, if you were there, you would see a long line of people standing behind like police barricades with a ton of security. And, And over time, more and more people are packing in and we're keeping our kids right up so they don't get like where they're behind somebody and they can see and then all of a sudden, the, the band starts coming out. And everybody's getting excited, you know, because they get in position. And then the, dun, 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 dun. Uh, you, you, weren't, you weren't ready. That's all right. It's all right. The, the, the fight song, you know, the school fight song, that starts going. And they're getting jazzed up. And then these two gator mascots, Albert and Alberta, they come in. And, and we got a selfie with Jonah, Addie, and Livy with Alberta, the, one, of the, one of the mascots. And they're hyping everybody up. And 
And then next, and it really starts building because then the cheerleaders come out. And they've got their things, and they're getting the crowd pumped, and they get all situated, and everybody's ready because what comes next is the coaches and players come through there. And everybody's getting their high fives. And one of those players, he was one of the last ones off the bus, which usually means he's probably not seeing the playing field. But this dude was jazzed, man. He was hyped, and he's, let's go Gators! And he's high-fiving everybody. And imagine if after the Gator walk, we turned to our kids and we said, man, kids, wasn't that so exciting? Now let's go home. And they would say, I thought there was a game happening. See, every Sunday we gather and we hope that the Sunday experience is something that, that inspires you and motivates you and teaches you and gets you ready for something. And the something on the other side is living out the call of Jesus in your life on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week. That radical generosity would be the hallmark of your life and not just that you come to get excited on Sundays. And so when it comes to generosity, how do we move from the want to to the will do? How do we go from, God, I want to be a generous person to, God, I will do this. I will put that plan in action. I want to give you three critical steps that come from the passage. And you might even think of them as the, the plays that you have to run to be a person of generosity. And the first is this. You're going to have to finish what you started. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 reveals something that was not previously apparent and what he reveals in that passage is that the Corinthian church had already begun to contribute to the needs of the churches in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul says, you started this a year ago. And here's what happened. In the beginning, they were fired up, man. They were excited. They could see the vision. We're going to give and we're going to knock out this famine and the churches of Jerusalem are going to be blessed. But a week went by and then a month went by. And pretty soon a year went by and their enthusiasm for the project had waned. And here's why. Somehow or other, the Corinthians had confused a lifestyle of generosity with a project or an initiative. They went, man, when does this thing end? Paul's going, church, radical generosity doesn't end. Ra radical generosity says, what I desire to do now, what I commit to do now, I will commit to doing because I am following after Jesus. It's not a project. It's not an assignment to check off the list. It's, it's a lifestyle that we embraced because it was the lifestyle of Jesus himself. The reality, unfortunately, is that some amount of entropy is natural to almost any process. The most exciting time on the job is often the first few months, right? You're like, new to the scene, man, what a great hire this was. Everybody thinks you're, you're wonderful. Maybe you got a pay increase. Maybe you moved with your family. You're doing new assignments. You're getting new responsibilities. You're getting the attaboys and attagirls, and you're going, man, this is awesome. And then six months go by, or six years, or 16 years. It's not so fun anymore, right? That, that, that new kid on the block appreciation that, hey, this guy's great, this gal's great, that's way in the rear view. Now you're dealing with problems, you're dealing with issues, and your boss is your boss, right? You go, man, I don't know that I like this anymore. Entropy. It's why the, the, the first week of the marriage is often the most exhilarating, the most exciting. It's all brand new. 
you're in some exotic destination and you got no kids pulling at your coattails and you're, you're doing the thing and you're spending money you don't have, but it doesn't matter because you don't have kids yet and you can pay it back and it's exciting. That's why we call it the honeymoon. And we actually use that term, the honeymoon phase, to describe this reality that sometimes what's really exciting in the beginning becomes really unexciting later on. And if you don't have the will to, you won't finish what you started. If it doesn't move from the place of, I, I desire to do this, to a plan to accomplish it, whether it be your marriage, your finances, or your job, or anything else, what unfortunately happens is you end up looking like this. There should be a picture going up behind me. This needs a little bit of context because some of you are fairly new to Central Florida. This is what we call the I-4 eyesore. It lives on Altamont Springs and it is 22 years old and it is not yet finished as a building project. This I-4 eyesore, you know, I, I, I found it, you're going to be, uh, I think, surprised as I was. This actually has a Wikipedia page. It has its own Wikipedia page. It's a, it's a celebrity in Central Florida. In fact, if you want to have fun this afternoon, Google I4 eyesore memes because they are fantastic. But, but here's, here's the point I want to illustrate. In 2001, this project began. And those that began the project said it will be completed in 2003. As you can imagine and know by now, that didn't happen. So they updated the projection to 2007. And that came and went. And because of the recession, they got a little more realistic and they adjusted it to 2017, 10 years in the future. And then 17 came and went. They said 18. Then they said 22. And the last line of the Wikipedia page about it says, as of November 2022, construction is still ongoing. And it will be ongoing until Jesus returns, right? Like this is... <laughs> now, it's fascinating to learn, as the Wikipedia page <laughs> informed me, that this building has a name. The, not like the I-4 eyesore, like it actually has a name. Those who began construction gave it a name. This building is officially called the Majesty Building. And here's the point. It is possible to have majestic ambitions and miserable outcomes. You go, man, you should have seen what I wanted this marriage to be. You should have seen what I, I wanted to do when I became a part of this church. You, you should have seen what I was going to do with my finances. But the want to never moved to a will do, and you end up looking like the I-4 eyesore. And what was intended to be majestic becomes a punchline. Paul's saying, I don't want that to be true for you, Corinthians. I, I want to help you to understand that it's not about how you start the race it's about how you finish. You're going to have to complete this task that God put in your heart and willed you to do if you want success in life. When our life is based on feelings rather than follow through, that's what we get. Secondly, Paul says this, give according to ability. So first, finish what you started. Second, give according to ability. In verse 12, he says, if the readiness is there, then it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And I love this because all of us have different abilities when it comes to our finances, right? We all get the same amount of time, but we've all got different finances. Paul says, 
Look, God isn't going, Chris, you gave this much and, and this family gave that much. He's saying, give according to your ability. That, that's why the, the ask in Scripture was always a percentage. That, that was kind of an act of mercy. Because if I'm trying to catch the next guy, if I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, from a giving perspective, I may put myself in a place where I've committed to something that I cannot follow through on. See, one of the problems with our ambitions is sometimes they don't match reality. I found recently uh, uh, my New Year's resolutions from 2003, so 20 years ago. The Majestic building was two years old at that time, but, but I was 21, and when I was 21, I was brimming with confidence about what I could accomplish in a year. Can I share just a few of my New Year's resolutions from 2003? One was that I would be fluent in Spanish. Two was that all of my debts would be paid off. And three was that I would be able to bench press 200 pounds. That was 21, that's what I cared about at 21 years old. But can I tell you that my Spanish is muy poco. I got a little more debt now than I had then. And I still can't bench press 200 pounds. Now thanks to Alex Urena, I'm at like 185 and I'm, I'm getting there. But when I was 21, I weighed like 130 pounds and I was not even working out. So it's like, how in the world? <laughs> but I wanted to. See, the problem was those weren't goals, that was a wish list. And if we're not careful, when it comes to giving, we're going to go, man, I really wish I could. You got to give according to ability. See, the best goals that we set are those that are reasonably attainable, but that move us beyond where we are. See, if you just say, hey, I'm going to give this year what I gave last year and nothing has changed in your life, that's not a goal. You're just doing what you've always done. And we appreciate that. But as your pastor, I want you to move. I, I want to see growth. I want, I want to see, you, in all, not just finances, I, I, want, I want to go, man, we went to church, you know, X amount of times and we're not legalistic here. Nobody's keeping records of that. But for you to say, hey, I want to get my family even more engaged with the church. We want to give even more financially. We want to find new ways to serve. We want to go beyond where we are. But I'm not going to come in on October the 8th, which is our celebration Sunday together. I'm not going to come in on October 8th and, and pledge to give a million dollars to this church. You know why? Because I can't do that. Some of you can, but I cannot. So the other day, Nikki and I sat down and we looked at what we gave last year. And we said, we're going to give more. Let's ask God how to make that possible. How do we create more margin? Because we don't have a lot. We get to the end of the month, there's not like money rolling into the next month, right? Like, and if that's you too, I'm just saying, hey, give according to ability. But can I challenge you to, to, to challenge yourself? Don't do, it, don't do what's easy. Don't do what you've always done. Go beyond where you were in your giving. None of us can leap tall buildings in a single bound, but I believe all of us can make a step forward in our discipleship journey. That's what we're going to ask you to do. Now, these two points that we've talked about, this finishing what you started and giving according to ability, to me, that seems like the plays that you need to accomplish what Paul's talking about. Like, if you do those things, if you give according to ability, and you finish what you started, you're good. But interestingly, Paul adds a third critical step, a third play that has to be run. And it is this, number three, we've got to strive for equity. Let me invite you one more time to look at the passage 
verses 13 and 14, Paul says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance, perhaps in the future sometime, their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. It is almost as if Paul is doing here what he is an expert at doing throughout the letter. He's anticipating the roadblocks. I think what Paul's anticipating is somebody's going to go, why should I give my hard-earned income to people that I'm never going to meet and who, oh, by the way, they didn't work for it, I did. See, one of the dangers that we've got to be careful of in the United States of America and in the Western world is the way that we understand fairness. See, it might be very American or very Western to go, fairness is whoever worked for the most gets the most. But you know what that doesn't give credence to? It doesn't give credence to the fact that a significant amount of what we have is based on where we were born and when we were born. You go, well, well, I've got all this. Well, there are people working twice as hard as you who have far less than you. And biblical fairness says there should be equity as much as possible between you. Now, Paul is not calling for it. In fact, in another place in the New Testament, he specifically addresses the issue of those who will not work. See, we don't enable people. That's called socialism. It has not worked anywhere in the history of the world, including today. Some of you are left places that were socialist societies because it does not work. It does not work for the government to reach into your pocket and extract to give to others who aren't earning it. That's socialism. But do you know why it doesn't work? It doesn't work because the one who's getting the extraction is broken, is sinful, is addicted to power. And so those who get it hoard it. Our God doesn't work that way. Our God God doesn't extract from us. Our God doesn't manipulate us. He says, I'm asking you to trust me that when you freely give, cheerfully and generously give to the work of the Lord, I'm a good God who's going to find the right place to get that so that there can be equity in the church. That's gospel fairness. It's the issue that Paul is calling the Corinthians to here in this passage. It's interesting because he says at the end, as it is written, those who gathered much did not have much left over or any, and those who gathered little did not lack. What he's referring to is in Exodus chapter 16, second book of the Bible, when God provided manna on the ground. And people walked out the next day. They hadn't eaten in days. And they went, finally, we got food. And they gathered. Some gathered more and some gathered less. And you might be inclined to think, well, those who worked harder to gather more should keep it. But that's not what God says. And part of the reason is where the manna fell didn't depend on them. For some, the manna fell right outside their tent. They got a little more. Others maybe had to walk a little further. Some were in great health and they could carry larger loads. Others were sick or of minimal health or weaker and they couldn't carry as much. And God's going, I'm going to tell you believer. I'm going to tell you Christian. I'm going to tell you follower of Jesus that if you want to reflect the heart of God in your life, you're going to strive for equity. Not just financially, but in all ways. You're going to look for justice to enter places where people have needs that are not being met and they can't do anything about it. That is part of what it is to follow after Jesus. Now this makes sense only if we accept the notion that everything in our life is a gift of God. Even what we work for, your job is a gift of God. 
the circumstances that put you in that. It's not that you just sit back and go, God, I hope you provide. We actively participate, but the provision is God's. And when I learned this in my own life, it changed the way I thought about my job and my paycheck and my finances. Because truthfully, when I first came to First Baptist Orlando at 28 years old, I was wide-eyed. If you've ever been to our John Young campus, you know it's a a big thing. And uh, I remember Nikki tapping me being like, baby, you got to act like you belong here. I was like walking like, man, this is crazy, you know. She's like, act like you belong here, right? And it was good advice. I needed to. But those first couple years, I was like, man, I've never been in a church that is like healthy, where pastors care about each other, where, where, where provision is met, where they're not like grinding you out going, pastor, just slave away because God called you. They're like, no, no, we want to provide and give you time off and we want you to prioritize your family and we're going to reward you with uh, financial income for this. And I was going, man, I can't mess this up. This is a good gig. I got I to gotta hang on to it. And the problem was, for a few years, I started to believe that my employer was my provider, and it is not. Your employer, be it Disney or Universal or Publix or Walmart, or even if you're self-employed, your income isn't dependent on where your paycheck comes from you. Your, your, your provider is God. And so for this season of life, the channel God is using is called First Orlando. But before I got there, God provided through a different channel. And if in some future time I'm not there, God will provide through a different channel. And now I get to approach my job and go, thank God I get to do this. I'm not afraid of blowing it. I'm doing what God put in my hands. I'm trusting my provider. And for some of you, this journey of grace... Man, it's going to be a journey of faith in trusting God to be your provider. Trusting that when you get to the end of the month and there's nothing left over, but you committed to give the first portion of your income to the church and to the Lord, and you go, God, I'm at the end of the month, what's going to happen? You're going to see God step in like he's done for my family. 2007 and 8, for me individually, were lean years. 2012, for my family, we walked through 146 days in the neonatal intensive care unit with our first child. That was tough. Now, how, how are these bills going to be paid? How do we get through this? And we now say, like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 6, my God will supply every need according to his riches of glory in Christ Jesus. I know that now, not just because the Bible says it's true, but because I've experienced it in my life. And so has Nikki. And so have many of you. Like, oh man, right when the bill was due, right when we thought we were going to have to do the layoffs, or even beyond the bill or beyond the left, even when we thought it was all going to tank, and God provided. Listen, Paul didn't write those words in Philippians 4, 6. He didn't write them from a palace. He wrote them from a prison cell. So even in his hunger, even in the persecution, he recognized that every time there was a need, there was a God who was ready and able to meet the need. My God will supply every need that you have. And so I want to close in this way. I want to address those who maybe are struggling in the area of your finances. And you're struggling with coming to church for four weeks in a row where the pastor's talking about money because you're going, I don't have any margin. I don't have anything left over. I'm not asking you to solve that today. I'm asking you to open your hands and trust God. I'm asking you to change the way you think about it, to know that the one who has met every need that you've had in the past 
will continue to meet every need in your present and your future, that God will be your provider. And so we want this journey of grace that we're on, we want it not to feel like an obligation. There is no obligation to this. No one's going to follow up with you after. No one's going to, you know, check the account and see how much. This is not an obligation. This is an invitation. And it's an invitation to faith and to trust in a very critical area that sometimes is hard to surrender in the area of our finances. And what we very simply believe is that on the other side of your hard-fought yes, God is going to meet real needs and it's going to be beautiful. But can I also say this? You're ultimately not giving to other people. You're ultimately not even giving to the church. You're giving to God because you believe when you give to God, he is good enough to give you everything you need in reply. And so we want to close the service in this way. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. We're just going to sing the chorus together because the chorus says, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. The battle belongs to you. Maybe for you the battle is financial, but for some of you, you're going, that's not where it is, but there's a battle going on in my health. There's a battle going on in the health of someone I love, a family member. There's a need for salvation for a, a spouse or a child or a friend. There's, there's needs. And today I want to invite you to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. It is not your battle to fight. It's not your problem to solve. It's yours to lay at the feet of Jesus and trust that the one who loves you and the one who is good is for you and he will care for you in the days ahead. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to remind ourselves through your word that the battle belongs to you, that every fight, every problem, every struggle that we encounter in life, God, you're not standing far off in some distant heaven waiting for us to figure it out. God, if the gospel tells us anything, it tells us that you're a God who draws near, that you enter the very middle of our mess. When we couldn't save ourselves, you sent Jesus. When we couldn't meet our needs, you provided. When we were lonely and helpless, you invited us into a family and a community. And even collectively, God, in this church, when it looked like I'm not sure we can keep going, you not only supplied the needs, but you did it above anything we could ask or imagine. We bless you, God, because you have been such a blessing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand and sing this song and not just sing it with your words, but confidently, with authority, declare the battle belongs to the Lord. Sing with us. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.